Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm happy to be here at the Nixon Library. I had a uh, fantastic tour, very brief, uh, squeezed in about a half hour tour. So there's a lot, a lot to see here, but I'm going to come back at some point and look around a little more. Uh, I'm grateful for you having me tonight to come and talk about my book, Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. It's my first book. So that's, a, that's kind of a good thing. Very exciting. Life is like a box of chocolates. <clears throat> you never know what you're going to get. So <laughs> Anyone here see Forrest Gump? Right. Is there anyone who, who didn't see Forrest Gump in here? Whoa, dude. <laughs> It's on television like every day. You, <laughs> you know, it's the 25th anniversary of Forrest Gump this summer. 25 years in Forrest Gump. <laughs> Certainly changed my life in many ways. I'd only done a few movies up until that point. Nobody knew who I was, so all of a sudden here I am in the biggest movie in 1994. A couple of stories. Uh, uh, about three weeks after the movie opened, I was—I uh, took my kids to Big Bear, and we were—it was the summer, so we were playing in the pool and water parks and that kind of thing. And uh, I was in the pool with my kids, just splashing around. All of a sudden, this little twelve-year-old uh, kid said, "Hey, Lieutenant Dan!" You know. <laughs> and then all the other kids came around. Ah, Lieutenant Dan! And uh, this is three weeks after the movie came out, and I was surrounded by, uh, you know, 15 or 20 12-year-old kids who'd already seen the movie like three times. <laughs> so I figured the uh, movie's going to be a hit at, at that point. And uh, also that, uh, that summer, the summer of Gump, we'll call it, uh, I lived in Pasadena at the time, and um, there was a... Uh, you know, again, nobody knew who I was at that point. And uh, there was a speed bump out in front of our house. And you know how the speed bumps say, uh, say bump. <laughs> so I came out to get the paper one day, and there, the B had been turned into a G, and it said gump. <laughs> and uh, so I started to panic a little bit. Wait a minute. Now, now gump is out in front of my house pinpointing my house. A couple days later, I get a knock at the door, and uh, it's a police officer, and he says, uh, sir, um, been some break-ins in the neighborhood. Uh, have you seen anything suspicious, anything uh, odd? Uh, and I said, no, no, nothing uh, suspicious. Uh, you know, I'll call you if anything happens. Uh, and he says, well, okay, okay. And sir, and he pulls out from behind his back a screenplay. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Sinise, I'm, I'm a writer, and I wrote a script about a Vietnam veteran, and uh, when the police are bringing you scripts, it's time to move from Pasadena. <laughs> so uh, that's exactly what we did. We moved to Malibu. <laughs> nobody's nobody's going to do that there. Everybody's trying to get away from that. It's hard to believe that... Uh, 
that next summer, uh, next September, actually, will mark the 18th anniversary of a day when America endured one of our darkest moments. On September 11, 2001, our country was thrust into a war that still continues today. Our troops remain in Afghanistan. Our special operators have redeployed to Iraq in the fight against ISIS. And the dangers of the 21st century are clear and present and growing, it seems. We must never lose sight of any of this. Each day our defenders put their lives on the line and we are so fortunate to have them. So I know there's some veterans in this audience. Would all the veterans please stand up, active duty folks, please stand up so we can thank you for your service to our country. Can never do enough for our veterans, right? It's my great privilege to be able to speak with you all today to share a few stories and events and relationships that are, that are included in my book. It's truly been a journey from an early focus on self, my career in acting, building a theater company in Chicago, pursuit of my film work, to the current mission of service to others. And so many people have inspired me along the way. As I think about that dark moment in our history, I'm also thinking back to my first trip to Iraq to visit our troops in June of 2003 when I met a man who would affect my life greatly and become a very, very dear friend. This is New York City firefighter and former United States Marine John Vigiano John was a living legend in the FDNY. He passed away from cancer last year. And he was an incredible and inspirational man who accomplished many things in his life. But he would have told you his two greatest accomplishments were his sons, NYPD Detective Joseph Vigiano and FDNY firefighter with Ladder 132 in Brooklyn, John Vigiano II. Among the thousands killed on 9-11, his two sons gave their lives in the Twin Towers collapse. Two sons who laid down their lives trying to rescue others. John would talk to his sons on the phone each day while they were working. Around 3.30 p.m. on September 10th, John talked with John Jr. for the last time, and they ended the call by saying, I love you. The next morning, Joe called his father, telling him early details of the terrorist attack. That call also ended with, I love you. On the loss of his sons, John reflected, saying, we had John for 36 years and Joe for 34 years. I don't have any could have, should have, or would-haves. I wouldn't have changed anything. It's not many people that the last words they say to their son or daughter was, I love you. It was on that first major USO tour to Iraq to visit our troops called Project Salute that John and I met. We sat down, uh, we were on a C-130 up from Kuwait going up to Baghdad, and I sat down next to John. He was wearing a button, had a 
picture of his boys. And I said, what's the button? And he told me the story of losing his sons. Told me about that terrible day. And then he invited me to a firehouse. He said, have you ever been to a firehouse in New York City? And I said, no. So he invited me to Ladder 132, where his son was stationed at the time of his death. This particular firehouse in Brooklyn lost these six firefighters that morning, listed here above our heads there. I met many who had been to Ground Zero that day, and I've learned much from John and the firefighters about the events of 9-11-2001. We had some fun that night, too, at Ladder 132. They uh, eating dinner. They dressed me up in a little, oh, they, they loved doing that. And then they put me on a fire truck. There was a, there, the alarm went off, and uh, something happened. They put me on the fire truck, and I went out, and uh, somebody had fallen down an elevator shaft. So they said, here, take this. And they gave me this tool. And other fire trucks from other companies were coming and they they stopped and I'm standing there holding this tool (laughs) and these guys these firefighters are walking by me and they're looking at me funny I mean like what's he standing there holding that tool for somebody fell down an elevator shaft you you don't use that for that (laughs) firefighter humor uh, they (laughs) wanted to make a little fun of Gary there we had a lot of fun it was the beginning of a tremendous relationship with the FDNY. I've, had, uh, I've made many, many great fan- friends over the years. And in 2008, we would dedicate a memorial called the Brooklyn Wall of Remembrance on Coney Island. It's right near Nathan's. It's on the side of MCU Park. It's a minor league ballpark there. And uh, I would raise the money to help build this memorial that honors 417, four, 416 first responders that lost their lives on that day and one chaplain with the fire department. It's a beautiful memorial featuring these granite photographs of each one of these first responders. I played a concert at Brooklyn College in 2007 to raise the money with my band and, and we built the memorial and it's there today. So. If you're ever in Brooklyn, on Coney Island, please go by the ballpark and see that. And on the 10th anniversary of September 11th, we would feature this memorial in an episode of my television show, CSI New York. Any CSI New York fans here today? All right. (laughs) I bet you there's a few here that never watch CSI New York. That's all right. But thank you. Uh, You may... uh, Those of you that saw the show, you may remember an episode called Indelible at the beginning of season eight. That was the 10th anniversary of September 11th. And we did a show that featured the Brooklyn Wall. And my character actually recreated, it was uh, art imitating life because at at the dedication to the memorial, I actually made a speech. And so we almost recreated that moment and had my character on CSI New York stand in front of the wall and make a speech at the dedication of the wall that was featured in the episode. And I was privileged to have many 9-11 family members standing there with me in the scene that I had met over the years. And this is John Vigiano, a legendary firefighter standing right next to me.
He didn't have any lines, but he stood there real good. John was a great inspiration to me, and I miss him dearly. After losing both his boys and searching for their bodies among the rubble for days and days, seeing all the people who came from all over America to help search for other people's loved ones, for other fellow Americans, to pass out food and water to the rescue workers, to give wherever they could and to be their very best at our country's darkest moment, when John saw the outpouring of support of those who were there at Ground Zero immediately following the attacks on the World Trade Center, he said to me more than once, I think more good came out of September 11th than evil. That was John. America was truly at her best in our darkest moment. And I take the time today to speak about John and 9-11 because I'm often asked how my work in support of our veterans and first responders began, and I do point to that tragic moment in time as a turning point and a calling to serve in a greater capacity. The journey from self to service that I share in my book. Many might also think the mission uh, in support of our military began because of my role as Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump. And while that certainly plays a part, the first seeds were planted much closer to home, beginning with the veterans on both my side of our family and my wife's side of our families. I grew up in Chicago, surrounded by veterans. <laughs> Chicagoans, okay. I was surrounded by veterans. My grandfather here, Daniel Sinise, pictured here 101 years ago in 1918, served in the U.S. Army in World War I as an ambulance driver on the front lines in, Fa in France, surviving the Battle of the Argonne, one of the worst battles in the history of our armed forces. My two uncles served in World War II. One, Jerry Sinise, served on a ship in the Pacific and the other Jacksonese flew 30 missions over Europe as a navigator and a B-17 bomber. My father, Robert, served in the U.S. Navy in the early 50s during the Korean War. And on my wife's side of the family, her two brothers served in the U.S. Army, Army during Vietnam. Arthur Harris was a combat assault helicopter pilot, 800 combat hours. And the older brother, Boyd McKenna Harris, was a West Point graduate who served two tours, once as a lieutenant, a platoon leader, and again as a captain, a company commander. During his second tour, pictured here, he would receive the Silver Star for gallantry in combat, the third highest military decoration for valor awarded to members of the military. So after his return home, he would become a major. He would teach at West Point. Then he would rise in rank to lieutenant colonel. And unfortunately, in 1983, he was diagnosed with cancer and passed away while teaching leadership at Fort Leavenworth. I learned so much from this man in the short time that I knew him. He was a great man, highly regarded by the Army. And I'm proud to say that at both West Point and Fort Leavenworth, awards are presented in his name annually 
to an outstanding student leader, and in May of 2016, 33 years after his death, because of his tremendous contribution that still resonates and inspires our young leaders today, the U.S. Army inducted him into the Fort Leavenworth Hall of Fame, 33 years after his death. My wife's sister, Amy, served in the Army during the Cold War, leaving as a captain after 11 years of service, but not before she met and married Vietnam veteran Jack Treese, who served as a combat medic in Vietnam and stayed in the Army for 22 years. And Jack and Amy's son, Gavin Treese, served in the Army for 13 years, having completed two deployments to Afghanistan in the infantry, from World War I to World War II to Korea to Vietnam the Cold War to Afghanistan, I'm proud to count my family members among America's families that defend us all. <clears throat> it was in the late 70s and into the early 80s that I sat and talked with the Vietnam veteran side of our family and I began to receive an education as to how bravely our Vietnam veterans had fought and how they felt at the shameful way they'd been treated when they returned home. So in the mid-80s, I began to take action to try to make a positive difference in the lives of our Vietnam veterans, spending time at the local VA at Great Lakes Naval Base near Chicago with those suffering from post-traumatic stress, creating a Vets Night program at the theater I co-founded, Steppenwolf Theater Company of Chicago, where we provide free meals and performances for local veterans. And we've done that since 1984. And through my relationships with many of these veterans in the late 1980s, I was able to support the building of a veterans memorial in Lansing, Illinois. Continuing to talk to the Vietnam veterans in my own family, it would be these early experiences and the knowledge I gained from them that would play an integral part in driving me in this mission today. In 1987, my wife and I moved to Los Angeles and after many auditions and landing a few small roles, in 1993, I had the opportunity to audition for Forrest Gump. Lieutenant Dan. <clears throat> well, having spent years supporting our Vietnam veterans, I desperately wanted to play the Vietnam veteran, Lieutenant Dan Taylor. There he is. I was lucky to land that part. I looked at the role as, as another way to continue to honor our Vietnam veterans and the veterans in my wife's family by telling a story of one of their own. Lieutenant Dan, of course, is a disabled veteran who faces the challenge of losing both his legs, but also the greater challenge of carrying the terrible guilt of leading his platoon into an ambush that is responsible for getting many of his men killed or wounded. A post-traumatic stress that drowns him in alcohol abuse and buries him in dark isolation. Unfortunately, a familiar story of warriors coming home from war. 
But his friend, Forrest, helps him a little bit through his darkest moments. And then what happens? They head out on the shrimp boat, and uh, they survive the hurricane. And they remember Lieutenant Dan up there screaming at the hurricane and yelling? <laughs> what happens after that? There's only one boat left. The shrimp come pouring in. <laughs> and they start a shrimping business, and they become millionaires. And what happens to Lieutenant Dan? He invests his money in some kind of fruit company, right there. <laughs> a wise investment, I would say, for Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan finally makes his peace with God. It's a beautiful story of moving beyond the war experience and succeeding in life. And that is the story that we want for every single veteran returning from war, isn't it? We want that positive story. During the run of the film back in the 1990s, it seemed the character of Lieutenant Dan had resonated with a lot of people, especially those in the veteran community. After the movie's relief, uh, release, I received a call from a Vietnam veteran uh, named Gary Weaver, who worked for the DAV, the Dis Disabled American Veterans Organization. And he reached out to invite me to their national convention, which happened to be in Chicago that year. They wanted to present me an award for playing a wounded veteran in what they called, what they said was an honest portrayal of a catastrophically injured veteran who served his country. To these veterans, Lieutenant Dan had become a kind of symbol within our country's collective awareness of all our injured veterans, and especially the Vietnam veteran. Already, this character had grown beyond anything that I could have ever imagined. I describe this wonderful moment at the DAV convention in this passage in my book. Now I'll read a little bit. The entire ballroom erupts into applause. I choke up immediately. The spotlight is focused on the podium center stage where I'll give my speech. I walk up the wheelchair ramp leading to the podium and glance around. It's a massive ballroom filled with hundreds and hundreds of disabled veterans plus their family members. Some of the veterans wear their uniforms, others wear civilian clothes with hats that show which war they fought in or the unit or branch of the military they served with. The atmosphere in the room is electric. I see a wide range of ages, wounded veterans from World War II to the present. It's a sea of men and women, many with scars, prosthetics, burn marks, crutches, and wheelchairs, and all wearing the unmistakable look of pride. I'm stunned, humbled. The lump in my throat won't go down. What have I ever done? Here are all these wounded and disabled veterans, men and women who have sacrificed so much, honoring me for merely playing a part in a movie. 
The DAV National Commander Richard Marbs, seen here standing on crutches with his right leg missing almost up to the hip, presented me with a DAV Commander's Award, one of the DAV's highest honor one of the DAV's highest honors, and that 1994 convention began a relationship with the DAV that has lasted for 25 years, and this award hangs prominently in my office in a place of honor. It's very, very special to me. So seven years after Forrest Gump opened, our nation was attacked on our homeland one of the darkest moments in our history. There's a healing power in service work. And as my heart was broken after that terrible day, as fear crept in as to what the future would hold for our country, I needed to do something to assuage that fear and to help heal that broken heart. As our men and women in uniform stood to answer the call to preserve our country and destroy our nation's enemies, my heart went with them. And I was called to a new action to support them in any way I could to make sure that our warriors responding to the attacks of 9-11 would never be forgotten or neglected as our Vietnam veterans had been. And so what can an actor do? I volunteered for the USO, of course. <laughs> I, went, I went on the first of many tours to Iraq in June 2003, twice to Iraq that year, the second trip in November, seen here where we entertained over 6,000 troops in one of Saddam Hussein's stock soccer stadiums. That's, that's where that is. 6,000 troops there. I was with Wayne Newton. Wayne started entertaining the troops in Vietnam. And I was with uh, Chris Isaac, uh, country singer Neil McCoy, Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders were there. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I, I, I just began going on tours, taking pictures, shaking hands with our service members, many handshake tours to follow all around the world. And wanting to entertain in the spirit of the great Bob Hope and the many USO performers of the past, I formed the Lieutenant Dan Band in 2003. Yes, the Lieutenant Dan Band. Over the past 16 years, we've performed over 400 free concerts for our troops at home and abroad. It was September 11, 2003, after my first visit to Fort Stewart, Georgia, that I began regular trips to see our wounded at military hospitals in the D.C. area with visits to Bethesda, Naval Medical Center, and Walter Reed. Over the years, I've seen service members in hospitals in war zones, seen here at Camp Anaconda in Balad, Iraq, and across our country at Fort Belvoir Community Hospital in San Antonio at Brook Army Medical Center in San Diego at Naval Medical Center at Balboa, and also in Germany at Landstuhl Medical Center. And these visits have allowed me to experience firsthand the struggles and needs of our most severely wounded 
And I wanted to do something to take action to meet those needs, as we have so many critically injured in the post-9-11 war on terror. Having been involved with supporting many military charities over the years, in 2011, I decided to launch the Gary Sinise Foundation to serve and honor the needs of our active duty military families, our veterans, and our first responders. Thank you. With many programs supporting our wounded, our Gold Star families, our first responders, and more, I'd like to share a short video with you. Family, we share our joy with them. We count on them in troubled times. They're ones who make us proud. So many of us have been inspired by the service of a relative whose sacrifices motivate us to do more, to be more. But family is not limited by the bonds of blood or name. It is shaped by the stories we share, the freedoms we cherish, and the nation we love and defend. Family is at the center of all we do at the Gary Sinise Foundation. Our mission is to honor our defenders, veterans, first responders, and always their loved ones who sacrifice alongside them. Because that's what you do for family. Our commitment to family begins with our RISE programs. Our severely wounded, injured, ill, and aging heroes often live in total reliance on caregivers for tasks most of us take for granted. RISE was established to provide these heroes and their families with specially adapted smart homes, mortgage-free and custom-built from the ground up, as well as modifications to existing homes, mobility devices, and adapted vehicles. RISE is restoring independence and supporting empowerment for families across America. Our relief and resiliency programs keep families strong and spirits high. We provide HOPE, a program that offers support to those who are experiencing trauma, illness, injury, or loss, sometimes with assistance as simple as paying bills or buying groceries. Our Invincible Spirit Festivals celebrate the courage of our wounded heroes, their caregivers, and the families on the road to recovery at America's National Military Medical Centers. Each festival includes a cookout by celebrity chef Robert Irvine and a concert by the Lieutenant Dan Band. The band continues to tour the nation in support of our defenders and their loved ones with a mission to deliver honor, gratitude, and rock and roll. Our newest program, Snowball Express, serves the children of our fallen military heroes, surviving spouses, and Gold Star families. In December 2018, we brought together 1,722 kids and their surviving parent or guardian for a five-day retreat of hope and healing at the happiest place on earth, Disney World. Our community outreach and education programs honor the sacrifice of heroes from every generation and ensure their service will be remembered for years to come. Soaring Valor sends our greatest generation World War II veterans to New Orleans to tour the National World War II Museum built in their honor. Students accompany our veterans, learning the important lessons and history of World War II firsthand, bridging the gap between old and young, helping to ensure our future generations never forget. Our Ambassadors Council includes philanthropic celebrities, severely injured veterans, Congressional Medal of Honor recipients, 
and dedicated supporters of the military. They inspire, educate, and remind communities to recognize their local veterans and honor the sacrifices made by all of America's defenders. Since nothing offers an opportunity to bond like sharing a meal together, Serving Heroes shows gratitude to our nation's defenders by serving up classic American meals nationwide and at military outposts in Germany and Korea. A reminder to all who serve that we do not forget. And Arts and Entertainment Outreach invites anyone who has served to join us for a free dinner and dress rehearsal performance at one of the nation's premier theaters extending our hand in support and appreciation of veterans across the generations. When catastrophe strikes, our families trust in the protection of our first responders. These men and women are vital to the safety and security of our communities. Through our first responders outreach, we provide funds for equipment, training, and wellness to America's firefighters, police, and EMTs. At the Gary Sinise Foundation, we've worked tirelessly to keep our defenders and their loved ones strong each and every day. We are honored to know our efforts have inspired so many to join our mission. What started as a passion of one is now over 50,000 donors strong. But there is always so much more to be done, and we must do all we can to meet the critical needs of our defenders. Join the Gary Sinise Foundation family as we show the pride and gratitude of our nation to all its heroes and the families that stand by their sides. While we can never do enough for our defenders, veterans, first responders, and the loved ones who sacrifice right alongside them, thank you. You guys are awesome. We can always do a little more. Help serve our nation's defenders and their loved ones now. Visit GarySiniseFoundation.org. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an incredible journey. I appreciate that very much. I've met the most extraordinary people serving in our military and as first responders. And these men and women inspire me each, each and every day to try to be a better man. Many years ago when I began this journey, it became abundantly clear that we can never do enough for those who serve and who sacrifice to defend our precious liberty and freedom. But I also learned that we can always do a little more. With the amazing support of the American people and with God's help, we will keep trying to do just that. There's a message that I want to deliver in this book. I love my country. I'm grateful to be an American. I know where my freedom comes from. And I do not take it for granted or the sacrifices of those who provide it. Because of that, I want to do all I can to ensure America's defenders and their families are never forgotten. I want this book to help spread a spirit of joy, tribute, appreciation, action, and ultimately gratefulness. In it, you'll read how, 
a wild and crazy kid from the suburbs of Chicago, stumbled into theater with many ups and downs and hard knocks along the way, how he eventually developed from an actor into an advocate, the amazing and inspiring people he has met along the way, and how that inspiration has manifested into a passionate commitment to take action to support our nation's defenders continually. With every ounce of energy within me, I will continue to try to do my bit to ensure that we always remember where our precious freedom comes from and that the sacrifices made to protect that freedom are never forgotten or taken for granted. This is a great country. We have a lot to be thankful for. And in these turbulent times, it's easy to forget that. I'm truly a grateful American. I hope this book will touch you and I appreciate your allowing me to speak tonight. God bless you, God bless our nation's defenders, and God bless our great country. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, real quick, um, Gary mentioned the significance about this book, and I believe each one of you has a copy. Could we hold it up for a photograph? I just think it looks so cool. Oh, <laughs> I love that. All right. Who's taking a picture? We've got a photographer taking a picture right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Gary Sinise, thank you, sir, for coming. We appreciate you. Thank you all for coming. Enjoy your evening. We will see you next time. Bye-bye.